Section 4 of One Day's Courtship and the Heralds of Fame by Robert Barr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Nat Spratt. Chapter 4 of One Day's Courtship. The sun had gone down when Miss Summerton put her foot once more on the landing. We will go and search for him, said the boatman. Stay where you are, she commanded, and disappeared swiftly up the path. Expecting to find him still at the falls, she faced the prospect of a good mile of rough walking in the gathering darkness without flinching. But at the brow of the hill, within hearing distance of the landing, she found the man of whom she was in search. In her agony of mind, Miss Summerton had expected to come upon him, pacing moodily up and down before the falls, meditating on the ingratitude of womankind. She discovered him in a much less romantic attitude. He was lying at full length below a white birch tree, with his camera box under his head for a pillow. It was evident he had seen enough of the Shawanagan Falls for one day, and doubtless, because of the morning's early rising and the day's long journey, had fallen soundly asleep. His soft felt hat lay on the ground beside him. Miss Summerton looked at him for a moment, and thought bitterly of Mason's additional perjury in swearing that he was an elderly man. True, his hair was tinged with gray at the temples, but there was nothing elderly about his appearance. Miss Summerton saw that he was a handsome man, and wondered this had escaped her notice before, forgetting that she had scarcely deigned to look at him. She thought he had spoken to her with inexcusable bluntness at the falls, in refusing to destroy his plate, but she now remembered, with compunction, that he had made no allusion to his ownership of the boat for that day, while she had boasted that it was hers. She determined to return and send one of the boatmen up to awaken him, but at that moment Trenton suddenly opened his eyes, as a person often does when someone looks at him in his sleep. He sprang quickly to his feet and put up his hand in bewilderment to remove his hat, but found it wasn't there. Then he laughed uncomfortably, stooping to pick it up again. "'I... I... I wasn't expecting visitors,' he stammered. "'Why did you not tell me,' she said." that Mr. Mason had promised you the boat for the day. "'Good gracious!' cried Trenton. "'Has Ed Mason told you that?' "'I have not seen Mr. Mason,' she replied. "'I found it out by catching an accidental remark made by one of the boatmen. I desire very humbly to apologize to you for my conduct.' "'Oh, that doesn't matter at all, I assure you.' "'What? My conduct doesn't?' "'No, I didn't mean quite that, but I—' Of course, you did treat me rather abruptly. But then, you know, I saw how it was. You looked on me as an interloper, as it were, and I think you were quite justified, you know, in speaking as you did. I am a very poor hand at conversing with ladies, even at my best, and I am not at my best today. I had to get up too early, so there is no doubt what I said was said very awkwardly indeed. But it really doesn't matter, you know. That is... It doesn't matter about anything you said. I think it matters very much. At least, it matters very much to me. I shall always regret having treated you as I did, and I hope you will forgive me for having done so. Oh, that's all right, said Mr. Trenton, swinging his camera over his shoulder. It is getting dark, Miss Summerton. I think we should hurry down to the canoe. As they walked down the hill together, he continued, I wish you would let me give you a little lesson in photography, if you don't mind. I have a very little interest in photography, especially amateur photography, replied Miss Summerton, with a partial return of her old reserve. 
Oh, I don't wish to make an amateur photographer of you. You sketch very nicely, and... How do you know that? asked Miss Summerton, turning quickly towards him. You have never seen any of my sketches. Ah, uh, well, stammered Trenton. No, that is... You know... Are not those watercolors in Mason's house yours? Mr. Mason has some of my sketches. I didn't know you had seen them. Well, as I was saying, continued Trenton, I have no desire to convert you to the beauties of amateur photography. I admit the results in many cases are very bad. I am afraid if you saw the pictures I take myself, you would not be much in love with the art. But what I wish to say is, in mitigation of my refusal to destroy the plate when you asked me to, Oh, I beg you will not mention that, or refer to anything at all I have said to you. I assure you it pains me very much, and you know I have apologized once or twice already. Oh, it isn't that. The apology should come from me. But I thought I would like to explain why it is that I did not take your picture as you thought I did. Not take my picture? Why, I saw you take it. You admitted yourself you took it. Well, you see, that is what I want to explain. I took your picture, and then again I didn't take it. This is how it is with amateur photography. Your picture on the plate will be a mere shadow, a dim outline, nothing more. No one can tell who it is. You see, it is utterly impossible to take a dark object and one in pure white at the instantaneous snap. If the picture of the falls is at all correct, as I expect it will be, then your picture will be nothing but a shadow unrecognizable by anyone. But they do take pictures with the cataract as a background, do they not? I am sure I have seen photos of groups taken at Niagara Falls. In fact, I have seen groups being posed in public for that purpose. And very silly they looked, I must say. I presume that is one of the things that has prejudiced me so much against the camera. Those pictures, Miss Summerton, are not genuine. They are not at all what they pretend to be. The prints that you have seen are the results of the manipulation of two separate plates. One of the plates containing the group, or the person photographed, and the other an instantaneous picture of the falls. If you look closely at one of those pictures, you will see a little halo of light or dark around the person photographed. That, to an experienced photographer, shows the double printing. In fact, it is double dealing all round. The deluded victim of the camera imagines that the pictures he gets of the falls, with himself in the foreground, is really a picture of the falls taken at the time he is being photographed whereas in the picture actually taken of him, the falls themselves are hopelessly overexposed and do not appear at all on the plate. So, with the instantaneous picture I took, there will really be nothing of you on that plate that you would recognize as yourself. That was why I refused to destroy it. I am afraid, said Miss Summerton sadly, you are trying to make my punishment harder and harder. I believe in reality you are very cruel. You know how badly I feel about the whole matter, and now even the one little point that apparently gave me any excuse is taken away by your scientific explanation. Candidly, Miss Summerton, I am more of a culprit than you imagine, and I suppose it is the tortures of a guilty conscience that caused me to make this explanation. I shall now confess without reserve. As you sat there, with your head in your hand, looking at the falls, I deliberately, and with malice aforethought, took a timed picture— which, if developed, will reveal you exactly as you sat, and which will not show the falls at all. Miss Summerton walked in silence beside him, and he could not tell just how angry she might be. Finally, he said, I shall destroy that plate if you order me to. Miss Summerton made no reply until they were nearly at the canoe. 
Then she looked up at him with a smile and said, I think it a pity to destroy any pictures you have had such trouble to obtain. Thank you, Miss Summerton, said the artist. He helped her into the canoe in the gathering dusk and then sat down himself, but neither of them saw the look of anxiety on the face of the elder boatman. He knew the river St. Maurice. End of chapter 4